the goal was simple. How do we work in millions of buildings across this country that are primarily in urban communities um, and make the buildings healthier and build out sustainable communities? This is Keith Kinch, the general manager and co-founder of a company called Block Power. We turn buildings into Teslas. We rip out old fossil fuel systems out of existing buildings across this great country. We electrify heating and cooling systems. In doing so, we lower carbon emissions. Uh, we make the buildings healthier, make, make the air quality better. And then we also create jobs locally doing it. Turning buildings into Teslas. That might sound wacky, but here's the thing about buildings. They are a massively important piece in the puzzle for getting our economy to net zero. Today, carbon pollution from buildings, and I'm talking about heating, air conditioning, gas stoves, lighting, electricity, it accounts for about 30% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. And that's a huge chunk of our carbon emissions. And decarbonizing buildings, it's not just good for carbon emissions. Like Keith said, it can be good for so many other things, too. I'm talking about good for health by improving air quality, good for the local economy by creating jobs, and even good for costs by saving building owners money in the long run. Win, win, win. But decarbonizing the world's millions and millions of buildings, that's going to be a huge project. And in the next five episodes, we're going to talk about every type of building, from commercial offices and big box stores to residential single-family homes and apartments. This series is about how we can decarbonize all of them. This is The Big Switch, a show about how to rebuild the energy systems that are all around us. I'm Dr. Melissa Lott, and I'm the Director of Research at Columbia University's Center on Global Energy Policy. I think a lot of times when we talk about climate change, electrification, for many still feels like it's an idea, it's a great policy point, but it's actually happening, right? You and I are talking now, projects are being completed, buildings are being decarbonized. There are about 6 million commercial buildings in the U.S. today. Think about Walmarts and Targets and stadiums. On top of that, there are over 120 million residential units, the majority of which are single-family homes. Keith and his co-founder, Donald Baird's company, Block Power, is one of the groups that's working on decarbonizing buildings at scale. They've already completed 1,200 decarbonization projects and are now working on even more ambitious goals, like helping the city of Ithaca, New York, become the first in the country to decarbonize every single building by 2030. So this week, we sat down with Keith to talk about what it's actually going to take to get it done. The first question we need to grapple with, what do we actually mean when we say decarbonize a building? For someone who has never heard the phrase, decarbonize my home, decarbonize this building, what does it mean to decarbonize a building? And you said, I turned buildings into Teslas. So tell me more. Well, I would say in in the most basic terms is how to remove systems in your building that generates carbon emissions and makes the air quality much worse. The air quality that for most buildings is an exacerbating factor for asthma you know, particulate matter, you know, we're sitting here dealing with the pandemic still. Um, and then also lowering the bottom line for the building. So so for decarbonization, that's how, you know, we talk to building owners. So the first thing is if your building is running on oil or gas, you're, you're in a bad place. That means you're not only emitting carbon emissions, you're putting your tenants, residential otherwise, in a bad place, air quality, based on air quality. And then two, you're probably spending more money long term. 
that building is inefficient, the systems are inefficient, long-term you want to be in a position where you're electrified, you're building, and you're using electricity for heating and cooling, right, long-term. It's going to save you money. So decarbonization, you know, as simplistic as it is, it's just really around comfort and safety and then the bottom line for building owner. So there's three things to uh, decarbonization. First is um, weatherization, right? It, you know, it doesn't make sense to put in a brand new heating and cooling system and then your windows are 25 years old or your lighting is 25 years old, right? So we're looking at, you know, your building envelope. So essentially, you make sure your windows aren't, you know, releasing heat in the winter and releasing cool, you know, cooling in the summertime, right? So you're getting maximum for your new systems. I think two, you know, as mentioned, electrifying your heating and cooling systems. And the third thing is, you know, the ability to, to do that from a software component, right? It's, it's, it isn't, you know, it isn't hand, it isn't, you know, going downstairs and cl- clicking a button or, you know, putting your hand in the room and saying it's cold, it's cold right? This, it's, it's a data-driven system. Those are the key components. So first, you have to make sure that the building is efficient and not leaking a bunch of energy. This means getting good insulation, making sure the windows are properly installed, and improving all of this stuff that building nerds like to call a building envelope. You can also make your buildings more efficient by using software that helps you manage how you use energy in the first place. Energy efficiency might sound boring, but it's actually a big deal. It's already led to a 17% decrease in emissions from residential buildings since 2005. Second, you electrify things or move to other zero-carbon fuels in buildings that rely on fossil fuels, like heating and cooling or gas stoves. And then, of course, you have to think about where the electricity that you're using comes from. For example, if the power that your house is running on comes from a bunch of coal, it doesn't matter as much that you've replaced your gas stove with an electric one. Part of the solution there might be projects like rooftop or community solar. So one thing we haven't gone into as much is actually around generating electricity that you might use in your building at your building. In 2016, y'all put together one of the largest solar projects in New York, and I think it was called Solarize Brownsville, and it was 200 panels on homes. Can you step us through that piece of decarbonizing buildings? Yeah, that was amazing. That, that's one of the one of the best projects I worked on. You know, Danelle and I were raised in around Brownsville. I, I, I was raised in East New York, Danelle and Best Eye, and, you know, we know the area well. So the first thing is, you know, historically, Brownsville is one of the, you know, based on census tract, one of the poorest areas in the state, maybe one of the poorest in the nation. Um, but, you know, through great work, through great organizations locally, they've built up this home ownership for a lot of low to moderate income folks over years where now they have legacy in these homes that they probably bought, you know, mid, in the mid-1990s, early 2000s. And now 2016, these buildings, you know, they, they're valuable and they want to hand it off to their children or grandchildren. So that's the first thing, just being able to work in, in that sector is amazing. But like many things, you know, the, you know, we had to educate folks on the ground first, you know, getting homeowners to commit to something that, you know, for many low to moderate income homeowners, they've, they've never heard of or the idea of solar is, is very new. So, you know, what we did was we put together a community advisory board, right, of key stakeholders in the neighborhood. We had some elected officials, we had, you know, pastor, we had some local nonprofits that all had trust and equity in the community. So that was the first step. The second step was, you know, you know, being able to complete one project, right? Where, you know, when we talk about this work, it's like, oh, we, you know, worked on 200 homes and it's amazing, but it was the first project that was key. We worked on one project, it was one gentleman, his name was Mr. Mr. Pritchard. I can never forget him. He was like, I'll try this out. 
see if it works. He's like, it's amazing. I love it. And we're like, great. And we were excited. We're like, great. We got one done. We had a couple of folks signed up. We're like, okay, this is going to be successful. And he spent the last, the next year just talking to every homeowner he knew. He was, you know, so, and, and people say, oh, that's how it worked. It sounds simple. I said, no, we had to, you know, it starts with trust and the trust of him and making sure the installations worked and scaling and building it up and being able to see, you know, savings, right? Be able to see the panels on the roof. One thing about solar panels is when I, you know, unless I could tell you, hey, I got solar panels, you can go and see them on the roof. If I say, hey, I got a brand new electrified boiler, I'm not going to, you're not going to run down to the basement and look at it, right? So it's, so the ability to walk down a block in Brownsville and see 50 homes or solar panels. Now it's just not an idea. Or like, oh, it's a great plan, Keith. Or it's a great plan, block power. Like, no, it's happening. So with every conversation moving forward, it was like, yeah, I've seen some panels on, you know, Mr. Johnson's roof. I've seen it in Mr. Pritchard's roof. This seems to be happening. So, and over the summer and over the fall months, we just, you know, kept getting people signed up. And it was amazing to the point where, you know, we had, um, you know, key leadership from the state come to Brownsville and, and they were like, this is happening here. And we're like, yeah, it's amazing, you know? And so we were clear with them. This is not just something that can happen in principle. It happened on the ground in one of the poorest sections of New York City, New York State, you know, and jobs were created, right? It wasn't just solar installers that got, you know, folks that were trained to do that. There were solar ambassadors, the marketing piece, handing out flyers, you know, talking to building owners, taking phone calls in, creating a call center. So there's so many other aspects of kind of building out this job, this job pool that we're able to showcase um, and is very important. And, and it really set the standard on what we knew we could do as a company, but also what we knew low to moderate income communities can do across the country, especially in New York State, you know, if given the right, you know, the right time, the right mechanisms, the right resources. Okay, great. So we know a bit more now about what it takes to decarbonize one building, but what about millions of buildings, a whole city or a whole town? Last November, Ithaca, New York announced that it's going to be the first city in the U.S. that actually decarbonizes its entire building stock. They were going to do it in the next decade. And I know that block power is playing a key role in that electrification, but I want to dig into what you were just talking about at how you actually get it done when it comes to a city. Like, what does it actually take to decarbonize an entire city? Yeah, the, fir- the first step is to build out, you know, a community data-driven approach to talk to every key stakeholder in the community. You know, when you think about it from a very high level, it's an entire city, but it's one building at a time. It's one relationship at a time. So it's spending, you know, hours upon hours upon upon weeks just having a bunch of one-on-ones with stakeholders in the neighborhood, whether it's the, the, the rabbi, the imam, the pastor, whether it's other building owners, whether it's key elected officials, just getting an understanding on the ground what matters, right? We understand that the great folks of Ithaca know Ithaca best. So what is the best way to engage and how do we complete projects? And that's that's important. That that's the key. It's, it's, you know, it's got to be community driven. Can you dive into a little bit around this? So you've got a community. So let's say in the case of Ithaca, you've got this community that is dedicated to decarbonizing its buildings. What policies and government interventions are helping them to achieve that goal, to achieve the thing they want, when it comes to kind of jump starting that process, when it comes to getting it done? Well, Ithaca, you know, once again, being a leader, you know, had a very large scale plan, plan around, you know, decarbonization in, across the board that they're working on for, I'll say, about a couple of years now. Um, so this is something that they've thought about, they've worked on to implement. 
And the key is not just having policy, but having the right folks on the ground to implement it. So, you know, the, the leadership in Ithaca and the, the community of Ithaca were very clear, you know, we want to do this. This is how we want to do it. These are the next steps. So working on creating access to data to buildings is important, right? And I don't want to get into details on data, but having access to building data to know what needs to be done. And then two, constantly getting feedback from leadership, not just, you know, elected officials and policy on the ground, right? You know, how do we do this? How is this important? How do we how do we work locally to make sure we're creating jobs? How do we work locally to make sure that we're we're also educating folks on decarbonization, short term and long term? Then how do we get more involvement with um, folks that are, you know, a little younger that are either in college or middle school or even younger to say this is important to the community. So this this full buy-in, this isn't just something that a handful of folks are focused on. When we talk about getting it done, what are the biggest challenges to building decarbonization today? And what's it going to take if we wanted to retrofit all those millions and millions of buildings around the U.S.? Well, it's going to take um, a team effort on a larger scale. It's going to take all communities especially low to moderate income communities and partnership with government utilities to scale this at the highest level. So you'll need private sector commitment like block power and public sector commitment. Um, that's one. Two, I think with every project that's completed, we need to highlight it and showcase it. You know, we have a, a data set conversation with building owners and um, folks we know. Building owners trust other building owners first, right? So Melissa, you complete a project, I live on a block with you. I'm going to be able to look at your building and hear from you. And we, you and I, you know, we're on the same block. We trust each other. I may also go decarbonize my building. Second place people trust are like Lowe's and Home Depot. And what do they have in common? They both spend most of their time talking to homeowners and building owners. So we need to be able to build out that level of trust, right, across this country from building owner to building owner and to key institutions on the ground. So, you know, that's the key, right, that we, we've got we've to market and educate folks across this country. Like, it's happening. It needs to happen. It's continuing to happening. So in all these projects y'all have done, what have you seen in terms of these codes, these standards, these building codes? What has helped and what has slowed you down? Like, where are the big sticking points and opportunities? Well, you know, we're, we're fortunate in New York State, you know, our our carbon emission goals and our, our, our goals for 2030 and 2050 are, you know, one of the, one of the um, most progressive across this country. You know, our building codes, you know, tailor us to do this work, right, where there's existing buildings and new buildings. So that's one. I do think, you know, as we continue to do this work, we have to go a step further to make sure our building codes continue to be updated to be more around renewable energy and coming off fossil fuels. You know, we're, we're fortunate in New York City that, you know, no new buildings after 2027 can no longer use fossil fuels as their main heating system, right? That's big. So that means that, you know, for the next generation of buildings in New York City, we got to electrify but those are new buildings. What they do more around existing buildings. And, and I know New York State now is looking to make a lot of drastic changes on their codes. And we're excited about that. We're excited like, hey, we're all in electrification. When you say building codes, I get excited. I know I, I never thought in my life I'd get excited about building codes until like the last couple of years. And now I get excited because, the, you know, they, they definitely, you know, are catalysts to the work we're doing. Remember how we said at the top of the show that doing all of this, it could actually help create jobs? Well, it turns out that building decarbonization introduces a wealth of opportunities for helping to grow an economy. So here's a question around the job creation thing that you've mentioned a couple of times. Can you talk a bit more about how exactly does decarbonizing buildings actually grow jobs or create jobs? 
Yeah. Um, well, when you think about ripping out an old fossil fuel system, weatherizing a building, putting in new windows, um, and making sure that the software that connects the system connects to your phone and you can heat and cool your building, that all requires work from a group of folks. The contractor has to come in and do that work. That's a job created, jobs created. So he, he or she has to hire locally to do that work. So the ability to actually remove the existing equipment and put in the new equipment, that's the first step. That's, that's job creation on the ground. We've trained over a thousand people on clean energy tech and you know they've helped us complete over hundreds of projects across New York City. Um, and that's an example of, once again, the ability to take this work do it in low to moderate income areas, create jobs, and also create a, a pool for, for contractors. You know, even before the pandemic, you know, we had a lot of folks that are aging out of the industry that are retiring. And, you know, the contracts, the labor force have said, you know, how do we add more people to this industry? How do we diversify? And, you know, there are a lot, of, a lot of great ideas. And the work we're doing is, once again, the example, you know, working in LMI neighborhoods, training them on HVAC, solar installation, EV charging management, and saying, hey, here's your training. You're trained now. Here's your career path. And let's also connect you to some employers that are also looking to hire locally. And, and once again, you know, we, we're fortunate to have, you know, hundreds of people um, receive full-time jobs over the last year. And, you know, that's forever. Like, they, that's going to be underneath their belt forever, you know, to do that work. And, and you know, we're talking now and there's, you know, hundreds of people doing projects across the city that, you know, pre-pandemic never thought about clean energy. Um, many folks, you know, still in the thoughts of the pandemic may have lost economic uh, dollars, whether it's because someone passed away, they lost their own jobs themselves. And they're now looking for maybe a second, you know, career or maybe a first career or maybe, you know, some folks in a program. Are returning citizens, they spend some time in prison and they're looking for another chance. And thankfully, even further, 30% of our participants are women, right? And, you know, traditionally, women have not been allowed into this industry. So, you know, how do we make sure we have more women involved, not just on the ground with installs, but also software, right? The ability to, to do the back end stuff and then also create their own, their own companies. We're trying to build out a workforce for the next 20, 30 years that go over those neighborhoods. I was just very fortunate to have a safety net to get to this point. So I think about how can we give back, right, to, and, and give the same opportunities and make sure that, you know, I'm doing the best, you know, Danelle and I are doing the best we can to, to make sure that, you know, we're, we're, we're building up this workforce that that looks like those NMI communities, right, that, that come from those neighborhoods, whether you, you live upstate, you know, you live downstate, it doesn't matter. Like, you should be able to give back on a positive level to, to, positive level to your own neighborhoods. I love what you just said, where it seems like that core of people that you're training up, they have different backgrounds and different skill sets they're bringing to the table. And it's this idea of it's not just the person with, you know, their associates or bachelors in electrical engineering or something that can actually be a part of this. There's a heck of a lot of skill sets that go into getting this done. Let's recap. If we want to decarbonize our buildings, we have to do four things. First, we have to make our buildings energy efficient and manage how we use energy. Second, we have to electrify our buildings or move to other zero carbon fuels. And third, we have to decarbonize the electricity itself. Fourth, we need to bring together lots of people and the local government to make these projects happen at scale. 
Building by building, Keith is working on bringing comfortable, carbon-free energy to communities across the country. And for Keith, the work is also personal. I think, you know, part of what we do is very personal. You know, Danelle and I grew up, you know, in, in low to moderate income communities. So we understand the barriers in place uh, of being in, in living in a sick building or being around buildings where the heating and cooling isn't at its best. So for us, it's definitely a, a personal impact to us. And the communities you work in remind us of, you know, where he and I grew up. And what Keith is doing, this is exactly the work that needs to happen in every city and every community across the country to get our emissions from buildings down to zero. Still, to this day, I would say maybe at least like once a month, somehow I drive down those areas and I still like driving like, and I tell my kids, like, see those panels? Like, daddy helped put those up. You know, when I think about what they're going to ask me, what they ask me now, but what they're going to ask me 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what have I done to make their lives better? Um, I want to say I've, you know, mitigated climate change and worked to make their, their community safer. Next up on The Big Switch, we're going to talk about decarbonizing residential buildings like houses and apartments. The Big Switch is produced by Columbia University Center on Global Energy Policy in partnership with PostScript Media. This episode was produced by Alexandria Herr and Daniel Waldorf. Anne Bailey is our editor. Theme music, mixing, and scoring by Sean Marquand. And a special thanks to our Columbia team, Kirsten Smith, Q. Lee, Liz Smith, and Natalie Volk. Our executive editor is Stephen Lacey. I'm Dr. Melissa Lott, and this is The Big Switch. The Big Switch.